Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Roasting the Rich. I'm your host, Amber. And today, as promised, we have a special guest, McKenna. Say hi, McKenna. (laughs) Hello, everyone. So McKenna is my friend from college. Do you want to say a little bit about how we met? Um, sure. Amber and I were in the same sorority. Um, <laughs> I was like the least sorority girl I've ever met, but she was in my sorority and she was coming back from studying abroad and needed a roommate. And I just so happened to need someone to sleep in a room in my apartment. So, or I guess we hadn't even had found an apartment yet. So we got a group of us together and lived in an apartment together. And I, the first day I met her was the day we moved in. Yeah, that was so crazy. I still think it's nuts that we're still really good friends years later. Actually, um, McKenna is my friend from the first episode when I was talking about how she's getting married and she made a whole PowerPoint about her bachelorette party, which is coming up next month. So everyone's really excited about it. Very excited. I am definitely your type A bride. It's going to be super fun, though. We're going to Nashville. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, don't worry. I'll keep you guys all updated. And we even have another PowerPoint presentation next week. So I can't wait for that. We do. That we do. So do you want to get into the story then? Yes, I'm very ready. Okay. So today we're talking about LuLaRoe. And full disclaimer, I got all my information from the Amazon Prime documentary, Lula Rich. (laughs) But I mean, it was four hours. It was pretty in-depth. So, have you heard of LuLaRoe before? Yes, I actually have a little bit of a personal family connection to LuLaRoe. Um, I don't know if I told no, you No, I want to hear. So, my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, actually was a LuLaRoe like, saleswoman, I guess. She was a part of the company for probably maybe like a year or two. Um sort of right towards the end of like the real height of their popularity. Um, And I can very distinctly remember my mom trying to convince me that the leggings were cute. No (laughs) way. Sorry to my sister-in-law, Christine, but like (laughs) they weren't. (laughs) They really, really weren't. I'm so excited then. Okay, so you kind of know what they look like and everything. Yes, I do. Well, I mean, I would love to see some reminders because I feel like I have blocked out that fashion from my but I do I do if you push me I do remember what they look like Uh uh-huh okay in 1995 Mark Stidham and Deanne Startup met for the first time when they were seated next hold on sorry her name is Startup yeah (laughs) it is her last name is Startup and don't worry I'm gonna explain it later so they met for the first time when they were seated next to each other on an airplane. It was kind of fate because Deanne was waiting for a standby ticket and she happened to get the very last seat, which was next to Mark. They hit it off immediately and got married a few years later in 1998. When they got married, they had a total of 11 children. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's like a basketball team. Oh, just wait. Deanne had four biological children from a previous marriage. She had adopted three from Romania, and Mark had four children himself from a previous marriage. Do they have ele- so 11 total? 11 total. Okay. But they decided that 11, you know, just wasn't enough, and they adopted three more children during their marriage. Two brothers, Catelyn and Tony, and then another girl, Anna. 
And I say children, but the last three were like at least in their early teens when they were adopted. So they were a little bit older. But are you ready for the craziest part? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The last girl, Anna, actually fell in love with one of their other sons, Michael. (laughs) And they got married. So Mark and Deanne. Are you allowed to do that? I mean, they're not biologically related. I know. Okay, no hate if you married your step-sibling, I guess. I think I don't know a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so out of their 14 children, two of them are married. <laughs> and I was going to ask if you can guess maybe what religion they are. Mormons. Yeah. Yep. They're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as Mormons. And when asked to explain what this meant to them, Mark said they believe they're living in the last days, that they need to focus on self-reliance, and that the universe is ultimately fair. So, I mean, I don't know a lot about Mormons, but there's Mark's little snippet. My brother's wife. I do really love her, and it feels like maybe this will be making fun of her, but she's also Mormon. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they're they're like the nicest family ever. And yes, she did. I kind of figured it was a Mormon thing because a lot of her and her like Mormon friends did LuLaRoe together. So I had a suspicion. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mark and Deanne obviously both grew up Mormon and they were very dedicated to their faith. And they also grew up in entrepreneurial families. Deanne's maiden name is is literally Startup, and her dad, Elbert Startup, was actually the great-grandson of Hiram Smith, who is the older brother of the Mormon church's founder, Joseph Smith. Are we, are we sure that that's real? Well, it was reported in the New York Times, so... Oh, okay, because I know, and this is not just like ragging on Mormons, but like Jewish people do it too. They're like, oh, well, we can trace our... I'm Jewish, so I'm allowed to say this. We can trace our ancestors back to, like, the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's like, "Mm, can you, though? Like, can you really? But I guess this is more recent history, so that seems more reasonable. Yeah, we'll just have to take their word for it. Um, But Deanne is the 10th child out of 11. Her mother, Maureen, gave birth to Deanne and her twin sister, Diane, at 44. So she had twins at 44 and named them Deanne and Diane. One night, Maureen said she was going to the office and promised to come back and take them all for ice cream. She had just done a catering job that left her with $3,000. And at this point, I'm going to be honest, I thought she was just going to like jump ship and go to the store and (laughs) never come back. But she went to the bank and asked for it all in $5 bills. She came back with a huge bag of cash, went to the top of the stairs, and called all her 11 kids to gather around at the bottom of the stairs and told them to close their eyes and count to three. At three, she dumped the bag of $5 bills over the banister and told them, like, quick, pick it up, pick it up. It's all for you. Mom made this all for you, and we're going to go shopping. And Deanne said that's how her mother taught them about working hard to be successful. What? Cash grab as your introduction to finance and work ethic? Very odd. Like, and you just, they just got it for no, so weird. Yeah, I feel like it's lacking a few details, but I mean, I don't know. So, Albert and Maureen also had extremely traditional values about women in the workplace. And in 1945, they founded the American Family and Femininity Institute. And its goal was to reinforce the idea that women belonged in the home, (laughs) which to me, again, it seems like 
at odds with Deanne's story that her mother was encouraging them to like work hard and make money if the women are supposed to be in the home. But maybe it was just like supposed to be towards the sons or something. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with, I don't know, like you're not probably not super familiar with this because you weren't raised like super religious, but the Proverbs 13 woman is a woman described in the Bible that's supposed to be like the ideal woman. And she is like industrious and thrifty, but she does it from the place of like being a caretaker, like a, so a lot of like modern day Christians and modern day like religious families have this idea of a perfect woman being like somehow a stay at home mom, but also with the added responsibility of somehow finding a way to make money on the side. Okay, that makes so much sense because this whole time I was going through this story and I just kept thinking like, but I thought the women were supposed to be caretakers and that was really confusing me. So, wow, look at I'm learning so much with you here. <laughs> okay, so Mark, on the other hand, had a pretty average middle class childhood. He was one of four kids and he said he, quote, seriously never considered having a job. But what he meant by that is just that he didn't want to have a job working for anyone else. Um, once, when his father was going through a rough patch and having trouble finding a job, their neighbors suggested that, you know, you can always get a job at the local mine. They're always hiring. And Mark's father replied, there's only one thing worse than being flat broke, and that's knowing you're going to make $481 a week for the rest of your life. I think maybe there's worse things than that, but that really stuck with Mark, and that's the reason that he was drawn to being an entrepreneur, because no one can tell you you're making too much money, which I personally don't think is a good enough reason to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I feel like there's other ways to make money than to be an entrepreneur, but I mean, good as, as good a reason as any, I suppose. That's true. It's not like I work for the passion of it. So Deanne got married young to her first husband and got pregnant quickly. Not Mark. This is like before Mark. Um, She wanted her kids to look nice and dress well, but the dresses were expensive at the department stores. And with her growing family, she wasn't able to afford clothing that she wanted for her kids. I think this is what you were just saying about like it's important for them to be thrifty because she said she was like hardcore budgeting, um, like making buying McDonald's and splitting all the burgers into fourths for everyone because they couldn't afford to have their own. Um, (laughs) She went to a swap meet one day and saw this guy selling the same dresses from the stores, but for a fraction of the price. She was like, wow, this is a great deal. And she bought like four dresses, but she noticed that no one else was really buying them. She told him that her friends would be really interested in these and asked him if she could throw a party for him to sell his dresses at. She got all her friends together and they bought a ton of his dresses and afterwards he was like, you know, okay, if you can keep these parties going, I'll let you keep the profit. So she did. She had four parties a day. Each were about an hour and a half and she claimed she made around $40,000 a year and did this for 27 years. (laughs) Oh my God. That's a long time. Yeah. The guy got out of it though. If she kept all the, he, he, she must not have kept all the profit. No, I think probably like the profit after his usual cut, you know? I see. That makes sense. Yeah. That's such a long time. I know. I'm sorry to everyone. I don't know how old she is, but probably what, in her 50s at this time? I mean, mean, realistically, if she started doing this when her, she like first started having kids in her early 20s. Yeah. She's got to be 50s. Okay. So in this time, she would divorce and then meet Mark and everything, but obviously this was very lucrative for her and her family. 
So one day, one of Deanne's daughters asked Deanne to sew her a maxi skirt, and it was so easy, Deanne decided to sew a few different sizes and add them into one of her dress parties. She says within five months, she sold 20,000 skirts. To me, they remind me of the very like early 2000s maxi skirts, you know, like the thick stripes that go diagonally and you wear them with like gladiator sandals. <laughs> Do you remember those statement necklaces and you're like dressed up? <laughs> you could fix anything with a statement necklace. Do you still stand by that? <laughs> no. No, I did back then. Maybe not 20,000 maxi skirts though. That's a lot. She was responsible for the whole trend. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I wonder if someone could analyze that. That'd be great. Like what percentage of maxi skirts on the market can we attribute to this woman? Obviously a lot. Um, After realizing how much they were making from just the skirts, Deanne and Mark switched to selling only her skirts um, so they weren't working with the guy with the kids' dresses anymore. Mark would go into LA and buy fabric when Deanne needed it. And wait, did she sew every one of the 20,000 that we're talking about? Or I mean, I'm sure more than that. But like, did she hand? She wasn't hand, like, obviously not hand, but like just herself? I think at the beginning, she was sewing them herself, but I'm, I cannot imagine anyone sewing 20,000 skirts in five months. So I would assume. They all, okay, the thing with Deanne and Mark is that they make their business history sound very, like, flowy and like, oh, we just tried this and it worked, so we kept doing it. But I would assume that there there was a lot more struggle. <sighs> yeah, yeah, struggle or, like, business deals, like, structure. Like, I don't think that Deanne just decided one day to make 20,000 skirts. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm assuming yeah, that, that they – more organically usually than just like i'm gonna make twenty thousand skirts yeah so um mark would go into la and buy fabric and some was like a dollar a yard and some was three dollars a yard but what was important was that they didn't have a steady fabric supplier which meant each time they made the skirts they were different at first this was just kind of out of necessity and convenience but mark and deanne realized that it created a kind of frenzy among the customers. Like it created a pressure to buy that skirt now because they knew they wouldn't ever find that exact skirt again. Like Mark and Deanne weren't going to go back to the fabric store and find that exact same fabric again. It'd be smart if that was on purpose, but I I bet anything that was an accident. At first it was, yeah, but they realized the value in it and they took it into their official like LuLaRoe business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and as Deanne's skirt business grew, Mark started getting more involved in the production and the business side of things when things started scaling up. In 2002, Brittany Hunter became the first LuLaRoe retailer. So, that's what we're going to call them. Um, the individual she met- women we're going to call retailers? Yeah, the individual women who sell for LuLaRoe are called retailers. I also see them called consultants, but we're just going to stick with retailer to try to make it a little simpler. So Brittany met Diane in Utah and went to buy skirts for her friends. At this point, Deanne just had huge tubs of skirts in the back of her minivan and would drive around doing her parties at different friends' houses. And when she met Brittany, Brittany all but like climbed into the minivan and just started digging through the bins, tossing out all the ones she liked. And Deanne realized that this could be a good way to split up the work. She sold Brittany the skirts at a discount so that Brittany could sell them to her friends for double the profit. And so this is where it all begins. 
In 2013, LuLaRoe LLC was officially formed, named after Mark and Deanne's first three granddaughters, Lucy, Lula, and Monroe. What would eventually grow to an empire with over 60,000 retailers started with just Deanne and a couple young women. One of the earliest retailers was Ashley Lautaha, who's originally from Hawaii, but her husband was in the military, so they were stationed in Tacoma, Washington. Ashley saw a friend wearing a LuLaRoe skirt on an Instagram post and asked her where to get one because she was pregnant and wanted something comfortable but cute to wear. Her friend told her about LuLaRoe, but at that time, there wasn't a way to buy them online. I think she must have really liked the skirts, though, because she wanted one so badly, she wrote into the company and ended up talking to Deanne herself, who said, well, you know, this is actually a great way for you to make some extra money on the side. <laughs> Ashley had just graduated college, had two little kids, and was pregnant with her third, so this is extremely appealing to her. You know, she could stay at home with her kids, make her own hours, so it all sounded like a win-win. Ashley was the third retailer, so she would put the leggings in Tupperware bins, drive them to her friend's house, and sell them just like Deanne used to. She bought the skirts from LuLaRoe for $15 each and sold them for $25, so she was making about $10 a skirt. Ashley and the other retailers did pop-up stores and the whole shebang, and while on the surface they were selling skirts, what they were really trying to sell was the image of success. You see, they were trying to get other women to become retailers as well to help grow the business. And with all the other benefits it presented, it appealed to a lot of stay-at-home moms and even moms working out of the house. Why work at a job away from your kids all day when you can work at home and make the same amount? And Deanne always makes it sound like she had no hand in recruiting these retailers, like women just called her up asking to sell skirts, which maybe was true for some people like Ashley. But as the company grew, retailers were really pushed to recruit as many people as they could, friends, family, anyone they knew. Like, we're calling this, this is an MLM, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just about to talk to that. About okay. That. Do you think that people go into making an MLM? Like, do you think this woman's plan was to create a multi-level marketing scheme? Or do you think that this was, like, organic, it just happened that way, and then as soon as she recognized what it was, she pushed for it? Or do you think, like, she knew going in, this is an MLM, and it's going to be awesome? That's really hard because if you watch interviews – with Deanne, I don't want to be mean, but she very stereotypically seems like a dumb blonde. You find it hard to believe that she could conceive of that. Or maybe she's just playing you and she's a, that's what you she wants you to think. No, exactly. That's why it's so hard because part of me is like, okay, she couldn't have just stumbled upon this billion dollar business and not had any idea what she was doing. But also, she's pretty convincing. I don't know. Yeah. She's she's almost like manic. If you watch the interviews, she'll just – they'll ask her a question about, oh, did you know that your team was making this amount of money? And she'll just go into this whole, like, motivational speech of, like, well, they worked hard and they're selling their leggings and, oh, you know, they just know all these people and they they just work so hard and I'm so proud of them. And it's, it's kind of scary. Yeah, it's really creepy. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So – in 2014, LuLaRoe added leggings into their growing product line. They were known to be super comfortable, like thick, buttery soft, stretchy. They were supposed to fit all body types perfectly, and they had really fun patterns, like you said. <laughs> um, <and> I'll, <laughs> um, I'll make sure to post some pictures and examples on the Instagram, and I also made a Facebook and a Twitter so they added leggings, and LuLaRoe was also in full multi-level marketing mode at this point. Um, so we talked a little bit about this just now, but a multi-level marketing company, or MLM, 
starts with a small number of people at the top, which would be Deanne, Mark, and then the first few retailers like Ashley and Brittany. And Ashley, by the way, is spelled L E I G H. This was made for Mormon people. Like the fact that they have like such a close knit community and they're all like, it's such a big group and they're all so close. It's like the perfect microcosm for an MLM. It reminds me of Twilight when Bella was like at the stairs. Once I found out that Stephanie Meyer was a Mormon, everything in my whole life fell into place. Yeah. I just always remember that scene where she's like, oh, I put on like my khaki maxi skirt and my long sleeve top and like bounded down the stairs. If you ever want a kick of your life, read Midnight Sun. And I'm saying this is a full on Twilight fanatic. I love that shit. I seriously considered doing my bachelorette party in Forks, Washington. No way. Yeah, but I figured you might do it. So I was like, yeah, it'll be fine. I'm kind of offended by that. It's so fun. Really offended by that. What would we do there? There's nothing there. We could take pictures <laughs> of all the places and act out the different scenes. I think you're on to something. I know. Okay, okay, okay. So back to the thing. Okay, so a multi-level marketing company uh, starts with a small number of people at the top, which would be Diane, Mark, and like Ashley and Brittany. They recruit others to work under them and they get a commission for each person who joins their team. Basically, there were two ways to make money with LuLaRoe. Sell the clothing or get others to sell it. At LuLaRoe, you start as a retailer. You buy the product at wholesale prices from LuLaRoe, sell them to the customers to make profit. When someone signs up under you, you're their sponsor. The people who work under you are often called downlines, and those above you are called uplines. Does that make sense so far? Yes. Okay. Um, so here's the kick. The uplines at LuLaRoe didn't get commission from how much their downlines sold to customers every month. They got commission from the amount of inventory they bought from LuLaRoe. Yeah. So if I was a retailer working under Ashley and I bought 500 skirts from LuLaRoe, but only sold 50 to actual customers, Ashley would still get a bonus for the 500 skirts that I bought. Yeah. So you're like all the people are essentially holding the bag for their own prop, like inventory, which is crazy if you think about it. Like you're investing so much financially and like it's just crazy, especially because like they wouldn't send all the best prints and sometimes you get ugly ones and like. And as a retailer, you had to buy a certain amount per month to stay active. So a lot of women ended up with hundreds of skirts and leggings that they weren't even selling, but they had to keep buying from LuLaRoe to be able to keep trying to sell them. Um, and meanwhile, as an upline, the more you recruit, the larger the commission you get. So you're just trying to get more people to sign up under you. And it doesn't really matter if they're selling successfully or not. An MLM is really similar to a pyramid scheme. It has the exact same structure. Um, so at LuLaRoe, once you got 10 people working under you, you were promoted to the title of trainer. And trainers got 5% commission for every piece ordered from LuLaRoe that month. And then you also get a trainer bonus, which were just like fancy gifts from the company to incentivize retailers to want to be trainers. Um, they were things like a LuLaRoe watch, which had the quote, be the kind of leader that you would follow engraved in it. And then they also had a necklace and other gifts that you would get at certain levels. These gifts might seem underwhelming to us, but they really became status symbols within the company and it fueled the culture of always working harder and trying to move up in the ranks. 
like people would literally they would be like i want that watch i want that necklace like i'm gonna work hard to get the next one it's insane it's funny that we're all just like little mice in traps with our little like primitive brains and like i make fun of people like haha they did the stupid shit for a necklace but like I do stupid shit all the time for stupid rewards. If I go on a run today, I get to have my little ice cream sandwich. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. That's why, like, that's why I like doing these stories. Because as much as I can make fun of the people who started it and everything, I always hold back for the people who joined it. Because I'll be the first one to say, like, I am so gullible. I Can just tell me once, like, I think that I could be the person that joined a cult. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the one of the last times that I went to visit McKenna, we really just had a bonding moment over cult documentaries. <laughs> Do you remember that? The Heaven's Gate one? I love cult documentaries more than I can possibly put into words. I love them so much. But I strongly feel that I would be too good for that shit. And Amber was like, oh, no. I would fall for it. And I was like, no, I wouldn't. I for sure wouldn't. Which probably means that you wouldn't and I would, you know? Maybe. I don't know. She's leaving out that shortly after she said that. She was like, I'd probably be the one to start the cult. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's absolutely right. And I would, I would join it. You see? There you go. Okay. So the next rank above trainer is coach. And you have to have three trainers under you to become a coach. And the highest level at LuLaRoe is a mentor. And to become a mentor, you have to have three coaches with at least three trainers under you. And if you're getting confused or having trouble keeping up, just it's literally a pyramid scheme. So just picture a pyramid. And due to the exponential nature of the structure, teams would be huge. Like some had around 5,000 people in total. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah, it was. It was giving me really strong sorority vibes because they'd have pictures with them, you know, like the little door stack oh, pictures. Oh, the whole team? Yeah. Well, they weren't in a door, but it, that's just what it reminded me of. Yeah. I mean, it's the same vibe. Um. So, mentors and trainers were making six figures a year, and that's what all the recruits were working towards. Usually what makes MLM companies so appealing to people isn't really the sales part, but what gets people is the unlimited opportunity – that's presented. <laughs> People would sign up to sell at LuLaRoe because they thought if they sold enough, they could make six figures too, but that's just not possible with this type of structure. Like there are only so many people that you can recruit. And like you said before, there's only so many people who could possibly want to buy leggings and maxi skirts. Um, retailers would even let their sales slip because they were focused on recruiting more people because the mainstream of income doesn't come from selling the product to customers. It comes from the salespeople and retailers that you recruit. For example, one woman spent $78,000 on wholesale product from LuLaRoe during a year and a half, and she only made $5,000 in profit from selling the clothes. And so we're assuming she's working full-time. You know, imagine working full-time for a year and making $5,000. But her bonuses from recruiting added up to $65,000. So she was still only making $70,000 a year, which is a lot. But like, she was probably working so hard. Like, I feel like it'd be more profitable to just work a real job. Yeah, I think that's how they get you though, right? Because they say like, oh, you can work part time and make a full time salary. But if you actually like tallied it up, I feel like no. Yeah, there's no way. 
And we'll get into it a little bit more later, but that's that's pretty much exactly right. Obviously, LuLaRoe had a pretty specific target demographic. <laughs> Joining LuLaRoe was appealing to a lot of women because you can stay at home with your children while making money, and LuLaRoe really leaned into marketing towards stay-at-home moms. Mark said, quote, if you want to create an incredible wealth, identify an underutilized resource. There is an underutilized resource of stay-at-home moms, and they have chosen to be a mother. And if you make that choice, you pay a price career-wise in our economy right now. The thing that stood out to me was that, first, I don't think that stay-at-home moms are underutilized. Yeah, it's almost like he's saying, like, we nobody's found a way to exploit these women yet. Because they're already doing a full-time job. They're not underutilized. They're utilized for precisely what they're doing, raising their children and running their households. But... What it's almost sounds like what he's saying is they're underexploited. Like, yeah, exactly. Okay, that's exactly it. You put words to exactly what I was thinking. Mark also said that a lot of people of faith had been attracted to this business, <laughs> which is true. Um, and they did recruit a lot of other Mormons. And so this is the part where I was like surprised because I was like, I, I don't understand why you're saying a woman, a woman, a woman has to be in the house, but then you're also saying that she should be working. The way though I feel like the way it really gets people though is they're not saying you have to. Nobody like I mean not nobody. There are certain very religious people who are super conservative that say women have to stay at home. But I feel like in modern religious culture it's more like it's put on this pedestal of like you're a stay-at-home wife, you're doing exactly what the Bible wants and tells you to do. Like it's more of like an encouragement to the point where like you feel like that's what you should want and that's what you should do like so it's not like an outright you have to do this. It's more of an encouragement or maybe like a like a peer pressure to do so. But you also have this community of people where it's also encouraged that you um, obviously have a stay-at-home mom, but also you have a lot of kids. So if you're supporting a lot of kids on a single income, then you have this additional pressure to make more money. And the Bible tells women in Proverbs 19 or – Proverbs 13, that like women should be industrious and be making a side hustle essentially. And they've twisted it to be like, well, not only should you want and feel satisfied being at home, you should also feel the need and the pressure to be earning an income as well as managing your household, as well as raising your kids. In a lot of cases, as well as homeschooling, like they have so much expectation on them, which is crazy. McKenna is going to be our resident uh religious what's an expert around here he's a little religious just a little bit i think it really does add a great perspective because like i i don't know any of this and a lot of the time when i was researching i was like i just don't understand where these people were coming from but but now i do you know so well and i should also say like i was raised religious but i i, I still am fairly religious so i'm not coming from a place of like hate for these people or you know, judgment, like I'm still religious. I still do plan on being a stay at home mom, like no judgment for any of those life choices. But you do have to understand the implications of that sort of culture and religious belief system and all of that. Exactly. No judgment or hate here either. This is a stay at home mom stan account. Just <laughs> sounds so great. It but. is going to be great. I can't wait. <laughs> okay. A lot of women initially thought, like, this is too good to be true. But the mentors and trainers were right there to tell them, like, no, I started out just like you and look at me now. 
Obviously, the recruits didn't think that they were joining a pyramid scheme, and some recruits didn't think that it was even an MLM because they thought MLMs all have the same stuff. Like, if they're selling makeup, everyone has the same lipstick colors, and if they're selling weight loss shakes, everyone has the same flavors. But LuLaRoe had products unlike anyone else's. (laughs) What? That's just what some people thought, I guess. Interesting thought process. I don't know. Well, but this is probably also what they're being fed right yeah so every mlm thinks that they're not an mlm you know yeah so mark and deanne learned from their early days selling skirts that they should keep the limited run pattern structure so there would only be about three thousand products with the same print and that print would never be used again and additionally retailers could only order sizes and quantities of the clothing but they couldn't pick the pattern so you could either get like a box of really good stuff that will sell well or literally a box of donkey leggings. Like I said before, it really created a feeling of scarcity amongst both the consumers and the retailers, right? So the customers would rush to buy as many leggings as they could to make sure that they got the prints that they wanted. And the same with the retailers. If you saw a print that you absolutely loved, they called it your unicorn. You could go unicorn hunting to look for patterns that weren't printed anymore that you really wanted. But like you said before, you were like, that would be smart if they actually planned on it. And this time they did. So um, the end line customers and the retailers were like all buying amongst themselves. So it's kind of like a circular market. The same people buying and selling from each other to try to get the patterns that they wanted. And retailers would even share customers. So if one person didn't have a pattern, they would ask around within their team and have the customer buy from the person who did have it. And so a lot of the women didn't think that they were in a pyramid scheme because it didn't feel competitive like they thought a pyramid scheme would feel. Um, It felt really communal, like everyone was supportive of each other and wanted everyone to succeed. That does feel unique, though, in their defense, because if you do have a product that's not unique then it is competitive. But this sort of, this print is like very integral, I feel like, to their success. And this like feeling of community they somehow developed. Very interesting. But unfortunately, the feeling of community didn't last. Around 2016, they started getting really popular in part because of social media, like Facebook, made it really easy for retailers to sell and market online. So by the time LuLaRoe had 3,000 retailers, Mark and Deanne were struggling to keep up with the demand. They called all their 14 children to have a family meeting where they laid out all the business numbers and profit and everything. And then they wrote a list of what they needed the children to do to help keep the business growing. Like they needed accountants, event directors. Also, like, were their kids already like accountants? Like probably not, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. So, <laughs> um... Obviously, LuLaRoe eventually had to hire outside of the family, and despite making millions of dollars a month, their business practices were a bit chaotic, if you can believe it. Daryl Trujillo worked for the LuLaRoe home office from December 2016 to 2017, so he has no relation to the family. He had previously worked at Steve Madden and worked on the side as a very high-level ref for college volleyball. What? He He seemed really proud of it. He, see- he seems like a sweet guy. Okay, so Daryl found the job listing on Craigslist where they said they were looking for someone to work data entry and customer service. But at the interview, they had a color wheel and were asking him, what kind of color are you? 
He said he had no idea what was going on, but he got the job and he worked with email complaints and data entry. Wait, but what kind of color was he? He didn't say. Well, I think I think that's a missed opportunity. I mean, whatever it was, it must have been the right one. Right? Was there a right choice? Can you imagine? <laughs> Maybe it was more like the explanation behind it. Like one time when I worked at an ice cream shop, they asked me to put flavors together and then explain why I put those different flavors together. <laughs> but that seems more applicable to the actual job. <laughs> Daryl said that 85% of the top-level management were family members who had no idea how to run a company of this size. They didn't have any kind of data entry programs. They only used Google Excel sheets, and like 10 people would be editing them at the same time, so obviously not great for any kind of consistency. Um, He said Mark and Deanne's 24-year-old son, who had no prior experience, was creating the entire compensation plan for their thousands of employees are you stressed i'm stressed (laughs) oh it gets worse (laughs) okay so while mark and deanne claim to have been working in the office every day daryl says they were rarely there employees would know if the family was there like any of them because each family member had a really fancy mercedes-benz so if any of the family members were there they would just know in the parking lot all the mercedes-benz would be lined up Mark and Deanne had the idea to start throwing events for their retailers to celebrate everyone's achievement and create more incentives to sell and recruit. So Deanne's nephew, Sam, was hired as the events director. He had a background in theater and entertainment from high school and the church. So obviously that makes him qualified to have a multi-million dollar budget. Um, (laughs) The important thing was he was born in the 80s, so he was the same age as their target demographic. So he could relate to them. He said he said he could relate to them as an older millennial. Sam would play old school hits like Scrubs and NSYNC and said these women would just go crazy. And there are videos online of these events. And I was watching them and I couldn't decide if it was like sweet or scary. Like all these middle-aged white moms were like, dancing their hearts out to NSYNC, you know? like That is purely sweet. You are, are wrong. That's precious. I'm talking like hundreds, sometimes thousands of women. Because yeah. how often do you as a, I would say probably not middle-aged, probably like mid-30s mom, right? How often do you get a chance to dance your heart out, you know? <laughs> That's true, okay? All right, you changed my mind. Okay, so in 2015, Sam needed to put on an event to give Deanne some kind of award. So he thought, who would all these suburban moms love? And he got Mario Lopez to give Deanne an award at the event. And he actually said Mario was way under their budget. So (laughs) I don't know what Mario is doing nowadays, but tell your people to step it up, Mario. (laughs) Um, So... Sam said they basically paid Mario to just show up, give Deanne the award, and then stand in line and take pictures with like 300 women at the event. Obviously, all the women posted pictures with Mario to their social media, and the following Monday, they had 11,000 people waiting to join LuLaRoe, all ready to lay down like five to $10,000 to buy the startup package. Oh, wow. Mario, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> 
So after the first event was so successful, Mark told Sam he didn't even have to follow a budget anymore. Just like go crazy, spend as much as you want. Can you imagine if someone was like, no more budget? I literally can't. <laughs> I can't imagine any situation in my life and in my future life where someone would say that to me. <laughs> Maybe wow. me to myself, like at the grocery store. <laughs> you get the pre-chopped vegetables and you're like, ball out, babe. No chopping tonight. <laughs> it's the little things, all right? is pre-portioned produce. That's all I want. That seems super attainable. Thank you. So, <laughs> at this point, LuLaRoe had thousands of retailers and thousands more waiting to be onboarded. In order to be onboarded at LuLaRoe, recruits had to go through training and waiting lists. So once they got off the waiting list, they could finally buy the product and start selling. The waiting list grew so large that some people had to wait eight weeks to be onboarded. And people would just be like crazy excited when they finally got the call that they were off the waiting list. Wow. Can And that just adds to this like desirability factor, which is so insanely smart. I am starting to think that maybe she's smarter than we realize you know because that's just it's so genius no it is it's i uh, yeah i don't know mark pressured the onboarding team to meet super high goals and they were bringing in over a million dollars a day just from signing women up like not even considering the leggings that are being sold or whatever so the lowest starting package that you could buy to join LuLaRoe cost just under five thousand dollars like four thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars something like that and this is one of the highest onboarding costs compared to other MLMs. So while on the waiting lists, women were sent trainings and presentations on how to come up with this money if they didn't have it, which included low interest credit cards, taking out a loan, or even borrowing money from your grandmother. Mark and Deanne denied that they ever explicitly told women to go into debt to join LuLaRoe, but the intention was pretty clear. And like you said, like there was such a frenzy around LuLaRoe that people were desperate to join. Women even sold their breast milk to save up the $5,000 needed to buy the entry package. Wow, that's intense. Lachey started working for LuLaRoe on the onboarding team, and she was one of the few people of color working there. As you can imagine, this business was extremely white. Um, <laughs> the first time she met Deanne, she was walking down the hallway in the offices, and she got a new outfit. She was wearing Chanel. She felt really good about it for her first like new week at work, you know, and Deanne walked by her, stopped, turned to look down at the outfit and said, that's not LuLaRoe. And Lachey said, no, it's Chanel, <laughs> which I just thought was kind of like a power move. But Deanne marched her to the warehouse and made her change into LuLaRoe clothes like on the property. Okay, but to be fair, like if you look, if you work at a retail store, most of the time they expect you to wear at least one item of clothing. Like she should have known a little bit, right? I don't know. I mean, but it's not a retail store. This was just like the office that they did all the accounting and everything. Yeah, that's a little intense, but but still. This wasn't just like a one-time thing. Like if employees went a day or two without wearing LuLaRoe clothing, they would be pulled aside and told like, you're going to have to start wearing this clothing or you're going to be fired wow. or we're going to have to rethink that promotion. So that's intense. It was like a little bit more intense, I think, yeah, that's than intense. it should have been. <laughs> yeah. And making an adult change in the middle. Like I would understand being like, hey, like 
in the future, could you maybe come back and like at least one item? But like taking someone and making them wear clothes that don't even belong to them is really intense. So pretty soon after that whole thing happened with Deanne and making her change clothes, um, Lachey realized that some people she had onboarded were making ten to twenty thousand dollars a day, and she thought, "I think I joined the wrong position." <laughs> And so she became a consultant and really utilized Facebook Lives to sell the product, like a lot of other successful retailers. Okay, so the Facebook Live just really helped LuLaRoe gain a ton of popularity. So what Lachey would do was she would get the box of LuLaRoe clothing, she would take a picture of it, post it on her Facebook and say, okay, I'm going live at 6 p.m., um, be there and ready to buy things. And she'd have like a thousand people waiting for her when she started her Facebook Live. She would go through the box, like just hold up each pair, show the pattern, say the size, and people would buy it like then and there. By the end of 2016, LuLaRoe had more than 60,000 consultants and was generating $1.3 billion in wholesale retail orders. Wow. That is insane. That is so crazy. Yeah. And it just over like a year and a half too. Crazy. Sam said though... This is his quote, okay? It was like flying a plane while you're still building the plane. And you don't even know how all the pieces of the plane work. And you've never flown a plane. You're not even a pilot. So, obviously, things were a bit hectic. Overwhelming. Yeah. I can imagine. Well, like we said, like every 85% of the top level management had no idea what they were doing. So, I can imagine. Um, can you imagine just the stress, anxiety, energy in that building? No, I don't want to. I bet it would be a physical feeling. Like just sweating all day. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> yeah. Nervous sweat. Like- Hashtag native deodorant. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, but that year, the top 0.01% of LuLaRoe retailers made $150,000 a month in just bonuses. But 70% made absolutely nothing so most nothing nothing most of the women were losing money or barely breaking even but it didn't stop them like thousands and thousands more were being recruited every month even though nobody was making money except for like the top levels because that's how a pyramid scheme works you know i know i'm just surprised that it's 70 percent were making nothing i mean i guess you wouldn't it was they probably tried to hide it because how are you going to make more money if people don't believe you're making money in the first place you know yeah wow some of the earliest retailers to join were making $200,000 a month just from bonus checks retailers would get calls from Mark and Deanne telling them to focus on growing their team like just forget about the leggings just go get more people Lachey said one girl's bonus check was $70,000 and she remembers because they all went to Louis Vuitton and got matching bags. (laughs) And this was part of the recruiting strategy as well. So mentors would recruit by showing how much money you could make working for LuLaRoe. Um, There were guidelines for how often they had to post on social media and everything positive you posted, you had to tag as hashtag because of LuLaRoe. So like women would post a picture of their breakfast that they made for their kids and be like, I'm so thankful I could stay at home with my kids, hashtag because of LuLaRoe. Yeah, they must have been at least kind of implying that they were doing well or else no one else would have joined. Courtney Harwood was another retailer that joined in 2015 and she was pretty much your typical LuLaRoe recruit. She had been working in corporate America and didn't see her children much and she felt like she was missing out on them growing up. 
Um, despite her and her husband both working full time, they were broke and in debt. She said they were always robbing Peter to pay Paul, but now even Peter was broke. Courtney contacted LuLaRoe to see, like, what is this all about? And they told her, oh, yeah, you could definitely get involved for the low startup cost of $5,000. And keep in mind, she's already in debt. So on her lunch break, she went to the credit union without talking to her husband at all and asked for a loan to start a business. And, I mean, she got it. But when she told her husband, he was like, that's not right. Like, you shouldn't have to pay to join a company. But Courtney did exactly what LuLaRoe claimed that you can do. Within a year, she was at the top level in the company, making hundreds of thousands of dollars. She was LuLaRoe's perfect poster child, and they had her speak at events to inspire and recruit other women. But Courtney said even though she was making thousands from her bonus checks, she was encouraged to spend them to look good for other people they were trying to recruit. She was pressured to pick up a $10,000 dinner tab one night, and she just had to act like, oh, this is this is no big deal. It's fine. I'm making so much money. It doesn't even matter. And even with all the money she was making, she was maxing out credit cards and living paycheck to paycheck. This is also when things started to get a little crazy within the top ranks of LuLaRoe. So, Deanne was obsessed with creating the perfect image of her brand. Mentors were encouraged to have their hair and makeup done at all times, and of course, wear LuLaRoe all the time too, which I think is reasonable, but... I mean, even if she wasn't requiring it, I'm trying to sell some shit, I'm going to wear it for sure, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, this, that I can understand. So, all that is fine, but the women started noticing that Deanne lost a drastic amount of weight, and when they asked what her secret was, Deanne would tell them she lost 72 pounds from having a gastric sleeve surgery done in Mexico, and she started pressuring others to do anything they could to lose weight. She referred people to the clinic she went to in Mexico and convinced 18 other women to get the surgery, which to me is like really reminiscent of her swap meet times, you know? Like I can picture her going down and getting the surgery and being like, Wow, this is such a great idea. What if I brought you clients? Could I get a cut? Mm-hmm. Also, I feel bad for these women. That's like a serious thing to get done, you know, and they felt so pressured. Yeah. So were they being pressured to do it so that they would look better in the clothing? Is that kind of what was implied? Yeah. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. So that they could give off that like successful, beautiful, like look. So Courtney... Uh, the one we just talked about, she was also pressured to get the surgery, and she was added to a text group called Rose Skinnies, and they would ask her, like, weekly, when are you going to go get the procedure done? And she was like, I'm not really sure I want to get it done, but the pressure finally wore her down, and she decided to get the a balloon procedure in the United States because she thought it would be safer. I'm not really sure the details. I think they, like, insert a balloon and fill fill it up with air so that your stomach feels fuller. Wow, that's so sad. That just makes me feel so sad. Yeah, well, the day after she got the procedure, she passed out at the top of her stairs and she almost died from complications. She obviously got the balloon removed and when she told the text group, they said, I told you so, the gastric sleeve is the way to go. So when are you going to go down to Mexico? Like she had almost died. Feeling really her to get it wow i know so and so courtney after that just like flat out refused and like left the text group but after that deanne just like turned a cold shoulder and like would not talk to her anymore she said that her self-esteem plummeted and it made her take a hard look of what she had gotten herself into 
she found out that many of the women in her teams weren't even breaking even and they were actually losing money. And despite joining LuLaRoe to spend more time with her kids, Courtney was so busy working the events and selling and training recruits that she was seeing them even less. And on top of all of that, the culture at LuLaRoe had changed. Initially, they would focus on recruiting stay-at-home moms and women and were selling them the idea that they could become successful business owners all by themselves. They had the whole like girl boss, <laughs> boss babe movement going on. It turns out that LuLaRoe's vision of women's empowerment isn't as progressive as they made it seem. Um, there was a part in the Amazon documentary when they asked Deanne, so like Deanne and Mark are sitting together and they asked Deanne, what inspired the empowerment of women for you? And Deanne, like I swear to God, you can see her like three brain cells rattling around just like, huh, I don't know how to answer this. And before she could, Mark cut her off and said, can I jump in and then you can talk? And so he proceeded to mansplain Deanne's own achievements and saying that their goal of empowering women came from me being married to a powerful wife. And throughout the entire series, Mark will cut Deanne off, but Deanne seems happy to let him, like deferring any difficult or business-related questions to Mark. And this whole interaction is really just representative of how LuLaRoe as a whole actually addressed women's empowerment. Courtney Harwood flew out to California for a mentor interview, and they sat down and talked business, and then they turned to her husband and said, but how is your marriage going? It would definitely be better for you if your husband quit his job. And when her husband insisted, like, he didn't want to quit his job, he didn't want to work for LuLaRoe, they went on to list and tell Courtney everything that was wrong with her marriage. And Courtney said she was just, like, crying, like, basically just sitting there being bullied, and she just didn't even know what to do. You remember Ashley? She was the third retailer to ever join. IGH? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... Since she was one of the earlier ones to join, she was just making bank, right? Millions of dollars a year. But she was having trouble with her marriage. And when she opened up to Deanne about her struggles, she was encouraged to read The Proper Care and Feeding of Husbands. Have you heard this of this book? No. Okay. Well, the whole book is geared towards teaching wives to be submissive to their husbands. And Ashley said, like, she just really couldn't do that. <laughs> but it didn't stop Deanne from continuing to give Ashley and all the retailers similar advice. So Deanne learned a lot from her mother and said her mother was just very misunderstood. You see, the 60s and the 70s, they were a challenging time. And her mother just thought women were confused and didn't know where they belonged anymore, in the house or at work. <laughs> Maureen took it upon herself. Maureen is Deanne's mother. Um, so she took it upon herself to fix this problem and wrote The Secret Power of Femininity, The Art of Attracting, Winning, and Keeping the Right Man for You. <laughs> Amber, are we book clubbing this book after this? Oh, I'm going to give you a sneak peek. I can barely hold it together laughing right now. Okay. Can you read it? I feel like I should read it. You know, I feel, like you, I feel like you should. You probably learned some valuable things. <laughs> valuable lessons. This is a quote from this on how to prepare yourself to win an argument with your husband. So, stand before a mirror in the privacy of your room and say to yourself, I'm just a helpless woman at the mercy of you big, strong men. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. Stamp your feet daintily, saucily, and shake your curls as much as to say, 
I am furious, but what can a little girl like me do with a big, strong man like you? So, this... (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) No. You know how, like, some people, you can tell, like, when you're talking to them that they think that they're in, like, a movie or a TV show? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you can just tell that they're, like, acting almost? Mm Mm-hmm. They're like, I'm the main character. Yeah. Yep. And they do like little things like that. That's what how I imagine that, you know? What if you have straight hair? What if I can't bounce my curls? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if I'm ever having a bad day, I'm just gonna remember that. I'm gonna stand in front of the mirror. <laughs> Stomp your foot, but I'll do it daintily. And saucily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> saucily. Is that a word? That's the quote. Oh man. But so Deanne, this is the kind of advice that Deanne grew up with, and she did not hesitate to share that knowledge. She used her mother's book to teach official trainings at LuLaRoe, and she even added her own modern spin on things and basically said something like, all you have to do as a woman is get on your knees five minutes a day and please your husband, and then your husband will let you buy whatever you want. I mean, is she wrong? I don't want to agree with her. I don't agree Um, with her, but you have to say it's effective. It's not not effective. I I agree, but you have to know that um, all the women that were talking to her about, they're they're divorced now. As you would be if you wasted tens of thousands of your husband's money. Yeah, but maybe if they just stomped their feet daintily, like maybe if they listen... Oh, God. Okay. Jesus. (laughs) So, Courtney said it soon became clear that the real goal was to empower the wife to some extent and then get the husband to take over the business once it was successful. The ultimate goal... Wow, that's so offensive. That is so offensive. You're good enough to start a company, but once it's successful, your husband should take over your little project because you really can't handle it. Like, ow. Deanne said, women can be strong, but there's a time to let him be your hero. So, okay. I mean, and if that time is after you have worked your ass off to build a successful business, so be it. Fair enough. Also, with World War Three impending, I'm okay being a delicate little flower woman. I'm not trying to get drafted. Okay, I'm against the draft no matter what. So that just... I'm against a draft if it means that I have to go fight. Nobody wants me to fight in their war. Trust me. <laughs> have you seen those videos, like the TikToks of uh, Gen Z in the military? And they're like, oh, we're being raided. <laughs> Crazy. My life's a movie. I like the ones that are like, wh- when the draft comes and it's like a girl who's clearly like Gen Z and like tattooed and pierced, but she's in like a little like house Mew Mew and she's like holding a pretend. <laughs> oh, please send those to me. Okay. So the ultimate goal was that the husbands would get into the business and not have to work at another job. So the entire family would be solely reliant on LuLaRoe for income. Um, They put on all these trainings specifically geared towards recruiting your husband. They had a training where one of the husbands was a speaker to literally a huge room full of women. Like there were no men there. And he said about his wife, when she started making more money than me, I was like, wait, wait, wait. So I gave you $5,000 of my money 
your hobby is taking over our family or whatever, you got to let us in here. Talking about the husbands. He said, it's your money or whatever, but it's our money because we're married and you got to let us help. That's a lot to unpack. That's a lot. I mean, I do agree that like if you're making, if you expect your husband to like give his paycheck to the family, essentially, then I think it's fair that your paycheck also go to family expenses. Like that's legitimate. Like it's unfair for you to expect your husband to pay for all the necessities and then all of a sudden you're making a ton of money and you're like, no, this is my shopping money. Like that's, I get kind of, but it was really the way it was said. I agree. I think that's fair, right? But I don't think that these women are making a bunch of money and it's not going towards the family, you know, like they were pressured to buy things, but I don't know. It's just really bad. It's just a red flag if they want, if they want the husbands to get involved solely for them just to like not have an outside job you know yeah that feels like you're trying to back people into this corner of desperation with no way out LuLaRoe soon switched gears from like oh yeah you can work from home and be with your kids to telling women to just get a nanny to do the things that don't make you money while you're busy working for us um, some women became frustrated because that's not what they signed up for. Well, yeah. And then they would meet with Deanne and Mark and they would be told, you know, okay, bring your husband. And Mark and Deanne would basically just ignore the women and congratulate the husbands like, oh, you're doing a great job when they're barely doing anything. So LuLaRoe also presented four suggested don'ts for how to treat your husband and include him in the business. So one don't talk man to man. Two, don't mother him. Three, don't have better ideas. And four, don't admire other men's qualities. Um, But don't worry, it wasn't all negative. They also had the three magic A's, which they said, if you do this for him, he'll do it the same back to you. <laughs> One, appreciate. Two, accept. Three, admire. I mean, in the context, it's odd, but in general, like, okay, like, that seems like pretty solid marriage advice, I suppose, but it's weird to get marriage advice from your employer, like, bizarre. Are you talking about the three magic A's or the four don'ts? The three magic A's seem fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine to me. But it's just like, why are you telling me how to... It's very weird. Well, because McKenna... If you don't appreciate, admire, and accept your husband, they're not going to want to sell leggings with you. <laughs> True. How can I be so blind? You boss being like, Amber, let me talk to you for a second. I want to talk to you about how you are appreciating your boyfriend. You'd be like, okay. I would absolutely die. I didn't even – you guys don't know this about me yet, but, well, maybe. I'm extremely socially awkward. <laughs> I didn't tell any of my coworkers that I had a boyfriend until we'd been dating for two years. And then you were just that weird person that was like, oh, yeah, me and my boyfriend. And everyone was like, what? Yeah, literally. And they were like, how long have you been together? I was like, mm. <laughs> two years. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. N- enough about me. <laughs> um, so throughout all of this, LuLaRoe is still growing crazy fast. They were onboarding like 500 people a day and had 60,000 retailers. So they had to meet an astronomical demand for these leggings and shirts with, you know, the crazy patterns. 
In 2016, a mentor named Roberta Blevins received her order, and when she opened the box of clothes, one bag of leggings was completely sopping wet. She asked Deanne and Mark, like dripping when she took it out of the bag, and she asked Deanne and Mark about it, but they just said, like, oh, that's weird. Don't worry. You can return them. And a couple months later, she got a box, and it smelled so bad when she opened it. You know how when you go to return something, they ask, what's your reason for returning? So when she filed a help ticket online, literally one of the options that you can pick for why you're returning something was stinky leggings. So, like, clearly it wasn't just her. Yeah, clearly it happened to other people. Mark and Deanne just told her, like, just move on. If you put them in the freezer, that'll help get rid of the smell. What? What? I know. Can you imagine having, like, hundreds of leggings and then just being like, put them in the freezer where you eat your food out of? <laughs> I'm imagining, like, the volume of that. Like, do you got a big freezer or what? Just buy an extra freezer for it. Man, those business expenses. <laughs> a LuLaRoe branded freezer. Customers also started noticing the quality of leggings was deteriorating. Um, There were complaints about holes in the fabric, leggings ripping, like just when they tried to pull them on, the leggings would rip at the seams, Um, sun patches on parts where it looked like it had been left out in the sun. And because they had been, like LuLaRoe was keeping all the inventory in these huge like wire cages in the parking lot of their office building in LA. So as you can imagine, not the best conditions. Some armholes on shirts were like bigger on one side. Uh, the material was thinner, and the complaints just went on and on, right? The soft, buttery leggings that LuLaRoe was known for was not what the customers were getting now. And when the mentors reached out with their concerns, they were told, like, just sell them half price. So they were the ones that took the loss, not LuLaRoe. Mark and Deanne refused to slow down onboarding during this time so that they could figure out the issues with the leggings. Of course, because the money isn't being made from selling the leggings, it's coming from recruiting. And on top of the issues with quality, retailers noticed that they were being shipped to the same prints that they were told had sold out a year and a half ago. Remember, every design is supposed to be exclusive because the prints are only printed once. And the reason that they were getting the same prints was because Mark and Deanne were putting unrealistic expectations on their design staff. Each designer was supposed to come up with 100 unique designs a day, which is almost impossible to do. What? Yeah, like I calculated it out. And if you have an eight hour workday, that's a new design every five minutes. So every just the whole day just sitting there coming up with new designs. So one of the designers, she was the head designer, Ileana. She figured out if you're in a pinch and you need some new designs, you can take an old design, add a few things or take some away, change the colors and then boom, new design. So that's why people were thinking, okay, hey, I'm getting the same one. It was just similar, like really similar. Yeah. I'm dying to know how many designers they had. So crazy. I don't think very much. Like, Maybe you're like- expecting 100 prints a day from each designer. That's – you don't need very many. Seems like they would have done better to bump that down and hire some more people. Gosh. Yeah. And then also, are you ready for the bad designs? Yeah. I'm if you're focusing on quantity over quality, obviously you're bound to skip some important considerations. Some of these prints were, let's just say, less than flattering when put onto leggings. 
I sent McKenna pictures of these infamous prints. Can you tell me what they look like? Just describe what you're seeing to me. <laughs> so sure. honestly, I thought what you were going to do is just send me prints that were ugly, which also would have been funny. But these aren't ugly. Well, they are ugly prints, but not really that bad. <laughs> They're just unfortunate placement, really, when you because you can imagine they made these prints and just randomly cut out the legging shape. So each one's a little different. So, for example, this first picture is a lovely blue flower with bees on it. All the- <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> the bee happens to be diving right into this lady's butt crack. <laughs> <laughs> right in there and then the next one has some sort of tower that's flesh colored yeah it's the leading tower of pisa flesh toned which was a weird choice and it just happens to be positioned to look like a penis and then another has a woman um with some sort of geometric pant leggings on although somehow a perfect circle ends up on her butthole <laughs> and then oh this is the this one is the best one it's burger print which is a weird choice just in general but the burger is positioned just so the bun looks like i can't i don't know how to describe it Amber. a vagina it, it looks, looks like, like a vagina it looks like vagina lips yes and <sighs> I'll post all of these again on the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter. I was just expecting like weird color combos. This is way, way better. The thing we have to remember is that as a retailer, you cannot choose what designs you order. So women would just end up with hundreds of these ugly designs that looked like penises and vaginas and they couldn't sell them. So they were and they couldn't return them. So they were stuck with all of these inventory. And on top of that, designers were desperate to come up with prints, as we just said, and they were flat out stealing artwork from creators online, which led to a lot of copyright infringement lawsuits against LuLaRoe. So Mark and Deanne were absolutely no help to their mentors and retailers. Retailers would post on the LuLaRoe Facebook pages asking if anyone else was having problems with getting wet or ripped leggings um, or ones with just hideous designs. But their posts would be removed because that's against the LuLaRoe culture. You can't just say negative things about LuLaRoe. Once the retailers bought the leggings, they owned the leggings, and LuLaRoe just didn't care one bit what happened to them. Mark insisted they had the highest quality control and still to this day denies any issues with the quality of leggings. He said they didn't have an issue with wet leggings. They had a social media problem with people running to complain online instead of trying to fix their own problems. Mark and Deanne would straight up gaslight the retailers, telling them, like, if the retailer said, I'm getting wet leggings, they would say, that's not actually happening. (laughs) So they even put on full training events called Escaping the Victim Mindset, and, like, the mentors and the trainers were encouraged to delete negative Facebook comments on their own personal pages and things like that. One of the speakers said, other people are experiencing your same problem, and they're not whining about it. What's wrong with you? If a retailer ever complained or had issues with an order, they were told they were just playing the victim or being a loser and should just work harder. Women became frustrated when the giant events and trainings that LuLaRoe held didn't discuss what was needed to be successful retailers or how to build a successful business. It was all just the same like motivational 
speeches encouraging you to buy more from LuLaRoe and recruit more people, like repeating the same success stories over and over again. No real help, right? Yeah. Like people were asking for technical help and specific things that they needed help with just to be told another inspirational story of how one woman turned a box of leggings into a million dollars. One of the many problems with MLMs is that obviously there's a geographical limit to how many retailers can be profitable in one area. But by design, the way to grow your business is to recruit friends and people you know in your area, and then they go and recruit people they know. So before long, there's just too many people selling leggings in one town and not enough customers. If retailers asked for advice about having a hard time selling the clothes, they were told that if they were working hard enough, putting in enough time, they wouldn't be failures. The blame was just shifted all back onto the individuals, despite the fact that the failure is inevitable with this kind of business model. So I know that throughout this, I've compared MLMs to pyramid schemes, and I always thought they were the same, but technically they're different. Pyramid schemes are illegal, but multi-level marketing companies aren't. Apparently, what differentiates them is that multi-level marketing companies claim that they actually sell goods to customers. So basically, since the mentors and retailers are buying clothing from LuLaRoe, they're exchanging goods for money, so technically they're not a pyramid scheme. The problem was... (laughs) The bonus program where the uplines got paid for recruiting was breaking the law and technically made LuLaRoe a pyramid scheme. Interesting. I never knew the difference. So when law enforcement started questioning their like bonus program situation, LuLaRoe knew like, okay, we've got to change the game. They had trainings for their retailers on how to explain that LuLaRoe is not a pyramid scheme. And I think we said this before, like if you have to explain how something isn't a pyramid scheme, it's a pyramid scheme. Um, but to avoid punishment from the law, LuLaRoe switched the bonus system from how much their downlines bought inventory to how much their downlines actually sold. But in doing this, the mentors and trainers' bonus checks dropped in half. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like we've said before, like 70% were making absolutely no money. Um, Most of them were going into debt just trying to buy more. It was just really sad. Um, So another change that LuLaRoe had to make to not be a pyramid scheme was to implement a 100% return policy with no expiration date. This means that retailers could order as much inventory as they wanted, and if they got ugly leggings or they were wet, they could return them to LuLaRoe for a refund 100% of the time, no strings attached. Mark and Deanne had meetings with everyone and repeatedly told them the return policy would not ever go away. A lot of people left the company completely since this was like the opportunity that they were waiting for. They had thousands of dollars worth of leggings just sitting in their houses, not able to sell them. So they just they packed that up and got out when they could. Good for them. Good for them. So Lula Road paid about $100 million in returns from existing consultants. But then on the other hand, a lot of people who were on the fence signed up because they thought, yeah, like $5,000 is a lot of money, but now it's basically risk-free. If I can't sell it, I can return it. So they could try it out for a few months to see if it would work out. But unfortunately, after paying out millions of dollars on returns, on September 13th, 2017, LuLaRoe informed the mentors that the 100% buyback program was over. And they were going back to the original policy. Shocking. 
I know. This was only a couple months after the 100% return policy was implemented. So people barely... Can you imagine if you're part of the group that got out? You're like... (laughs) I know. But the other ones who ended up buying a lot of inventory because they thought, okay, I'll buy a ton, keep the prints I like, and sell them back, didn't get the chance. They were stuck with thousands of dollars, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars worth of inventory. Um, One mentor finally ended up quitting because she realized like her downlines were telling her things like, I might go into foreclosure because I cannot pay my mortgage. I'm two months behind. I can't return these leggings. And it just made her realize like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, this is not good. Yeah. So she quit. And on top of this, the quality of leggings was still super bad because retailers couldn't say anything bad about LuLaRoe on the official Facebook page. They started a Facebook page called LuLaRoe Defective. And thousands of women joined immediately where they figured out, like, the problems they were having were real. It wasn't just them making it up or not working hard enough or whatever BS Mark and Deanne were spewing at them. Wow, how validating for those women. I know. They said it was a really nice – well, I'm not going to say it was nice. They said that they were just so relieved. Yeah. Yeah, because you've been made to feel like you're crazy. I can imagine how that's, like, a good feeling to be like, nope, not crazy. (laughs) Yeah, and, and then on top of that, another good thing that came out of the LuLaRoe defective page was that it finally gave Stella Lemberg, one of the retailers, the information that she needed to file a class action suit against LuLaRoe. So now she had all of these, you know, statements from women saying everything that had been going on. Stella's story is pretty sad. She had $20,000 worth of inventory and couldn't return it during the window. She had gotten pregnant but lost the baby at five months and became extremely depressed. So during the 100% return window, obviously, she was understandably overwhelmed and that wasn't on her priority list and she wasn't able to complete the returns. Stella met a lawyer named Callie in her neighborhood and after hearing Stella's story, Callie knew she had to help. The lawsuit originally charged LuLaRoe with breach of contract since LuLaRoe had said repeatedly they had 100% returns with no conditions, and then they just changed their mind. And this opened a floodgate of lawsuits against LuLaRoe, and they were sued for everything from defective language to copyright infringement for their patterns. By the summer of 2018, LuLaRoe was facing over 20 lawsuits. That year, for their huge yearly event for the retailers, they even got Kelly Clarkson to perform at their convention while owing their retailers and suppliers millions of dollars. Wow. Maybe not the best financial choice. Do you remember Daryl, the college referee? Yep. He's so sweet. Okay. We need to protect Daryl at all costs. So he boycotted Kelly Clarkson after that and said he can't listen to her anymore, even though she's one of his all-time favorite singers. Just because of the bad association? I know. And it's so funny because he seems, but he seems like, what's it called? Like he has conviction about it. You know, he's like, I am not going to listen to her anymore. And I just want to tell him like, yeah, like you can listen to her. It's not her fault. Oh man. Poor Daryl. Okay. In January of 2019, Washington state filed a civil lawsuit against LuLaRoe, which is like a next step up for getting sued. And they alleged that LuLaRoe was a pyramid scheme. They said that the business could not be successful selling the product alone and that LuLaRoe can only make money by recruiting people. 
Washington State said that the top two mentors made over $2 million each in bonuses between 2016 and 2019. Deanne was deposed with the title president of company and Mark was deposed as CEO, which meant they had to go and answer questions under oath for the investigation. Mark and Deanne completely denied any quality issues with their products and claimed that the profits were from selling the leggings. Washington State, however, had analyzed LuLaRoe's compensation history and even showed Mark and Deanne the overall profit from selling the product was actually negative. All the other profit had come from recruiting. It seems like that's a, like, how did you think that you were going to get away? Like, they weren't going to check the numbers? Yeah, it's it's so insane because you can watch the video and they'll say, well, how do you explain this? It's literally negative. And Mark would just deny it and say, no, they made that from selling leggings and working hard. Must have been a mistake. So it's so nuts. But Deanne stuck with her usual routine of like playing the dumb blonde. So they asked her what the address for the company office was and she couldn't, she was like, I don't remember. I still am of the opinion, even more so now, that she's just playing dumb so that her husband takes a fall. Like, oh, I'm just a sweet little woman with my sassy curls and my (laughs) stomping. I could never fraud people. (laughs) Honestly, if that's the truth, it would make me like her more. Oh, 100%. Maybe? No, 100%. But still, it's it is annoying because she, even if she's dumb and doesn't know what's going on, like she hurt thousands of women, so it's just really conflicting. Yeah, I, you're right. You're right. Right. So she couldn't even answer what the address for the company was. Every question about money or business, she just said, "Oh, well, Mark took care of that." And meanwhile, Mark was, like I said before, just flat out denying everything. Um, they would show him hard evidence, and yeah, okay, I already said that. So, in February of 2021, last year, LuLaRoe settled the case with Washington State for $4.75 million. To me, it's just, like, absolutely nothing. Like, they were making billions of dollars a year, and they just had to pay a $4 million fine to Washington State and say, oopsie, sorry, I won't be a pyramid scheme anymore. They didn't hurt the state. They hurt real people. Right. And although they settled their case, LuLaRoe's position is that they still deny any wrongdoing, but they made a business decision to stop the litigation um, to try to prevent them from losing more money while with lawyers and stuff on the case. So although this doesn't really seem like a big win for all of the retailers that were hurt by LuLaRoe's toxic practices, some good things did come out of the lawsuit. And a lot of the experts on the documentary series were saying like it's um, it's going to be almost impossible to stop multi-level marketings in their entirety. Like if you stop LuLaRoe, you have to stop every single one. Like you can't just say, yeah, LuLaRoe is an illegal company because that would mean every single other multi-level marketing is illegal. And that's just like a huge step that's going to take a lot to get rid of. As part of the settlement, they did have to change certain practices in order to qualify as a legal multi-level marketing company. So going forward, they had to have a buyback policy so that retailers can return the product if needed. They also had to follow the 70% rule. Retailers can only buy more inventory if they've sold 70% of what they previously bought. So you can't just like push more inventory on people so that they have thousands of dollars worth of leggings in their house. Yeah, that makes sense. Although what if you just get stuck with bad ones? They're still not doing the returns, right? 
No, yeah, they do. They have to have the buyback policy. So like the 100% return. Good, good, good. On top of that, sales have to be going to at least 10 different customers. So you can't just sell to the other retailers and say, look, I sold leggings, you know. And even though this isn't the outcome that many hope for, Washington State will keep investigating LuLaRoe in the coming years just to make sure that they don't revert to a pyramid scheme. So we might not be seeing the last of it. After the lawsuit, LuLaRoe dropped to about 18,000 retailers. So, wow. Uh, <laughs> since 2016, over 100 retailers have filed for bankruptcy. Stella the one who unfortunately lost her baby, her case was resolved in private arbitration. So she can't really say much about her deal or whatever, but I'm assuming that she was able to recoup the $20,000 worth of inventory that she had and hopefully got some more for, you know, emotional damage. (laughs) Emotional damage. LuLaRoe isn't done yet though, right? Like they're still a business today. By mid-2021, LuLaRoe had slashed the startup costs by 90% to attract new retailers. Um, I watched a YouTube video from Simply Epic Boutique where a couple who claims to be one of the top team builders in the company says the initial bundle is only $499. So literally down from $5,000. Wow. And for this $499, you get 65 pieces, which is, quote, way less than wholesale cost. And the $500 also includes one-on-one training from them, recorded trainings, and then they also claim to be, like, available at any time if you need help. Um, I mean, they seem nice, sure, but the video only had 153 views, and it was released over a month ago, so I don't think that the whole LuLaRoe frenzy is still going on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think COVID took a hit on them, too, like everything. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that. A lot of it was like, I'm imagining like door-to-door neighborhood sort of get-together parties and nobody's doing that or they weren't, you know. You're so right. I did not think about that at all. This couple also claims that the profit and profit margins are amazing, but the official LuLaRoe statements say otherwise. As part of the settlement with Washington State, LuLaRoe has to display yearly average earnings for their retailers. According to the 2021 statement, which is on their website, you can just go look at it. It's kind of cool. 15% of LuLaRoe sellers actually lost up to $5,000 last year. 50% made less than $5,000 in combined sales and bonuses. So total, 50% were making less than $5,000. And only 6% made over $50,000. And that's the highest the chart goes up to. So I don't know like what the top 0.01% are making, but I would assume that they're still doing all right. And if they're not at this point, I kind of feel like that's their own fault, right? Like if you're making a million dollars a year and are still living paycheck to paycheck, maybe you need some money management courses. (laughs) Sorry, it's roasting the rich, not just like gently giving them advice. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's it. That's all I have. I loved every second of that. Thank you. It was awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. And if you want to see more and see the poorly placed fabric on the leggings, you can look at Instagram (laughs) at Roasting the Rich Pod, Twitter also at Roasting the Rich, and Facebook at Roasting the Rich Pod. 
I'll get better at this, you guys. Give me a break. I just made these things. Um, yeah, so you can go check those out. I hope you enjoyed having McKenna on. I enjoyed being here for sure. That's all that matters. <laughs> we had we had fun and that's all that matters. <laughs> um, yeah, you might be seeing her again. We're not really sure. We're going with the flow. So let me know. All right. <laughs> well, once again, thank you guys very much. I'll see you in two weeks. This is Roasting the Rich. I'm your host, Amber. Bye-bye. Okay.